Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Felipe Ramirez of Rosanero. It's August 18th, 2020. Uh, we're in on the backside of Parrot Mountain at Leglems. Leglems. That's our vineyard. Leglems yeah. Vineyard. Awesome. High elevation, very rocky site. Leglems. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Felipe. Thank you uh, for having me. First question for you, and kind of the most important one to get us started, is why wine? Why wine? Um, why not? Uh, it's a uh, personally, I think that uh, wine it's it's a very important part of the human nature uh, of the civilization. Uh, you know, we've been doing wines since thousands of years ago. Uh, so I think there should be always in any family some people related with making wine making uh, olive oil beer chocolate coffee i think it's part of the nature so i think it's something that come uh, very naturally uh, for most of the people um, except if you if you come from a generational family making wine, which is not my case. Um, I would say more in, in my experience, uh, wine, I don't know very well how uh, I went into wine. Uh, I was always aware about the things that I don't like to do first. <laughs> And I always follow that path and, and, uh, and I try to, I'm very sure always about what I don't want to do. Uh, less sure about what I want to do. Uh, I come from a, from a family on the side of my mother, uh, very, very related with uh, cooking. Uh, we have, uh, my grandfather was a great chef, uh, my uncle, uh, too. Uh, so I, I've been always involved uh, in the flavors and very interested too. I think my mother, my mother took care of that to teach us uh, all of uh, all the family about the simple things, about to uh, learn how to enjoy flavors and aromas in cooking, um, kitchen was always the main part of, of, of our family house, mm -hmm. and it still be. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, we met for that, for cooking and, and, and celebrate and, and enjoy having a good uh, lunch or, or dinner. Uh, so that was very naturally for me. Um, and then um, my, my dad, my father, uh, he's an agronomist, um, he's a, a pretty good entomologist, you know, these guys that take care of insects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I grew up 
too uh, very related with all this insect world. I remember when my dad uh, was coming home with bags of alive insects and my mom was crazy about that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, um, and that bring me a lot of information too about the, the technical side of, of the crowing. Uh, my dad was working mostly in the forest, um, doing some biological control in the forest. Uh, he had a, a, a lab where, they, where he was reproducing insects to control another insect. So I think I have both sides of the, of the science uh, in, the, in the natural world. Um, and the, the more uh, feeling and soul side of the, of the cooking and the, and the flavors and, and, and aromas, feelings. Um, so when you match that, you approach pretty much to something that you can be involved in, in, the, in the production of something noble. Uh, like wine, in my case, uh, which is one of the things that I respect more. It's all this uh, um, job that people do to please uh, the rest of the world. Um, so let's take uh, wine, cheese, bread, olive oil, coffee, cacao, chocolate, uh, and, and, and if you put all that together, you, will, you can grow a happy table, right? When you have all that product in the same table, and all that products are very good quality, and, and, and they show where they, they come from, people can get super excited. Uh, and I think that is something that all people involved in this, not just winemakers, uh, uh, but all the people that make this kind of special products, we share. We share that, um, that proud and, and, and we are happy when we see people so excited when they taste something and they discover new flavors. Um, so I think uh, taking all, aside all the things that I don't like, plus all that uh, uh, energy uh, from my parents and from my family, I discovered this world. So um, in some moment, uh, I decided to study uh, agronomy. And uh, as my father did, um, and then through that I discover uh, the vines, uh, which seduced me uh, very intense, in a very in intense way, because uh, I discover a, a, a plant that could grow almost everywhere, and, and that blow my mind and, and then I went into that and connect with the wine and that opened all of that feelings that I have from I was a kid uh, with the with the kitchen 
Um, I think my mother did uh, the best to take me apart from from uh, being uh, a chef uh, because he saw a lot of things in the family that sometimes went very well, sometimes not. Uh, but uh, but he could not do that with, with wine. So uh, uh, even if she was kind of worried when I when I decide to move on into his world, uh, I don't know why. But um, but finally, uh, it's something that take me and, and, and passionate and it's, it's, it's the only thing that I, I'd like to do now uh, as a professional, yeah. So tell me about, you, you've mentioned a lot about kind of growing up, where, where did you grow up and, and it, when you decided to get into wine, what was, the, what was your first step? What was your first step into the industry? Uh, when I grew up first, well, uh, have you seen my accent? I'm, I'm not from here. <laughs> I'm not English, neither. Uh, I was born in Patagonia, uh, in Chile, uh, like uh, 500 miles south of uh, Santiago, which is the capital and it's in the center of, uh, of the country. Uh, a small town uh, called Valdivia. Uh, which is the beginning of the Patagonia, mm -hmm. um, which is very, very similar than here, very similar, um, with less people and less uh, development, of course, uh, but big forests, big oaks, a uh, lot of uh, lakes and big rivers. Uh, well, we have the Andes, uh, like here you have uh, the the cascade, but the Andes are a little bit big, so <laughs> you have glaciers coming up from there that connect with rivers that go to to the Pacific Ocean. So beautiful green and blue area, uh, and those colors stay with me always uh, in my eyes. And these are colors that I I'm always looking for the green and the blue. Mm -hmm. And it's something that uh, uh, I found here. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, in 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 some point, uh, all the family moved to the capital. Uh, sadly, Chile is a very centralized country, uh, so there's a lot of it's like a magnet that takes people coming to the, to the capital. Half of the people, half of the country, live almost. Almost half of the country lives there, uh, which made things bad for the rest of the, mm -hmm. of the little town. So, uh, but we moved there, um, and uh, so I, I, I grew up another part of my childness there. Uh, um, during dictature, uh, was a kind of a gray, I think, um, time. Um, especially for my parents, I think they did the best to make us feel like happiness. I, I had a very happy uh, childhood, very, very, uh, with all of my brothers and sisters. Um, and then uh, I, when I decide 
to study, well, I jump a bit part, but mm -hmm. just coming to this <laughs> one world. Uh, when I decide to move to, to agronomy and connect with the wine, uh, I went to study in, uh, in the Universidad Católica, which is, uh, there is two uh, universities in, in Chile that has the career for, for enologists. Um, and one of them is, is that university, so I study agronomist there and then I took the speciality of uh, uh, viticulture and winemaking. Then I did my exam, a special extra exam that you do for the Association of uh, Enology in Chile. And then uh, you are officially a gra graduate uh, uh, an enologist or winemaker. Um, at that time, like uh, when you're young, you want to see the world. Well, maybe not when you're young. I think it's something I would love to do that always, uh, <laughs> discover the world. But at that time, it's very easy to start to make this uh, flying winemaking. Um, um, so I did um, my first uh, travel was to here to uh, US. Uh, I went to Sonoma. Um, then uh, I did uh, another harvest in Chile and then my third harvest uh, in this planning uh, winemaking Flying while making was in France, um, and that touched me very deep uh, because of the way they leave the wine. Uh, I found that that uh, much more natural and out of this excess or out of this uh, kind of Disney World parks that some projects create mm -hmm. to get the people attached um, and I love it I love the way they match their food with the wine uh, which is something that makes me feel very comfortable um, because it's something more natural for me it's the way I grew up finally uh, and that stayed in my mind uh, for a while. So then I, I came back. I spent like four months in, in, in France. I came back uh, to Chile and I, and I, I took my, my first uh, permanent job um, in a small project uh, called Terra Andina. Um, with a great uh, winemaker that uh, teach me a lot, especially about the techniques, uh, especially about winemaking. Huh? Uh, he, he's a very technical uh, guy, uh, Stefano Gandolini, an Italian, Chilean Italian uh, great uh, winemaker. Uh, 
So I spent there, uh, I would say like four years. Um, so you know when you're single and you have already a job, you, you can uh, get some money apart. Um, so I remember after four years, uh, uh, you have your money and I remember that most of my friends, uh, they was buying their first apartment. Um, was a good time for that too. Uh, and that's a moment when I decide to quit, sell most of the few things that I have, like my car and my drum, basically, <laughs> uh, and move to France and, and keep, um, keep uh, digging into this world. Um, so I apply for, to make a master degree in viticulture, uh, while making a business uh, in Montpellier and Bordeaux. Uh, so I was accepted for both. Uh, and I decided to go to Montpellier because it was more focused uh, in the vineyards, which is something that uh, you can very easily get far from the vineyards. Um, if you go very deep into the winemaking. And it's something that I think uh, need to be changed or resolved, I think, especially in the new world. Uh, when I say the new world, I'm talking about out of Europe mostly. So here in US, uh, Chile, Argentina, South Africa and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, because there, there exists this separation of the winemaker and the viticulture, which is something that I really don't like. Um, I think, uh, uh, and it's something that I've seen, especially here, uh, very, very extreme. Um, and it's, I think winemakers need to go more to the vineyards and, and viticulture need to go more to the wineries and drink more wine and, and get all that. Uh, because finally, it's not about that. It's any decision you take uh, at the vineyard, it's for the wine. Uh, we don't, in a, in a, in a project, you, you're not uh, a grape grower. You're a wine grower, right? So any decision you take for the vines, it's something that finally will affect the wine. And that's what we do, we make wine. Uh, so any decision need to be made, considering the final goal, which is to make a great wine. Uh, and for that, you need to consolidate those, that team. Uh, so I consider myself more that. Uh, 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 so I spend probably during the year, I spend more time at the vineyard than at the winery. Um, because that's the main product. Wine, it's 99.9% uh, grapes. Um, so if you don't take care of that, 
you won't probably make it great. Uh, so coming back to the timing line, um, I decided to go to Montpellier because uh, uh, it was more focused in, in viticulture. Even if they have a great uh, 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 enology school. Um, I, I was already studying winemaking and viticulture, so for me it was more an ex a life experience, more than something super new. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really wanted to be there and have the opportunity to taste uh, wines from different regions, work with different people, uh, see what is happening there. Finally, all these varieties has French names because they're coming from there so mm -hmm. someday I think you need to go there and work and have the whole experience not not just visiting uh, as a tourist uh, live live the, the experience um, so I would say that that was very exciting and, and happy years come back and be again a student mm -hmm. uh, with more experience um, it was great, it was great. I, I made, I did great friends that still I, I keep. Um, I work in, in beautiful places, um, especially in Cote Roti, in Alsace and Burgundy. Um, one part of, the, of, the, of this program, one semester was in Bordeaux. Uh, so that was great too. Uh, so we had, as a student, you have open doors to go and taste the best from any chateau. Uh, they, they are super open with students uh, to teach them. So that was a great opportunity. Even if my taste and my, my, my desire goes more for the Burgundy side more than Bordeaux, but it was great too. Um, so it was fantastic, yeah. After those years, uh, three years there, um, I really wanted to take all that experience and bring it back uh, to my country, to Chile, uh, and express that. Um, I think this, this uh, job, uh, this be a winemaker, it's, it's about to express yourself too, uh, and that's something important. Uh, try to find a place where you can, where you can express uh, your feeling and, and your knowledge through the wine. It's a real combination of, of science and, and soul. Um, I don't know if it's because people like to blend the science with the art. I'm not sure about that. I, I could not compare never a wine with a great paint mm -hmm. or a sculptor. Mm -hmm. I have maybe too, too, many, too much respect for the art. <laughs> But there is a part of that uh, because there is a lot of uh, 
guts on that. Uh, and that's something that you realize, that I never realized at the beginning, but that I now, after 20 years making wine, I realize that in some moment, uh, you can follow your guts and the results can be amazing. Mm -hmm. I think at the beginning, you really need to follow books and, and, and people, uh, but it, there is some point that you cut that and you connect with yourself. And if you take your time and connect with the vineyard, um, you can make it great. Yeah, that's very exciting. So I'm curious, before we move on in the, in the story here, I'm yeah. curious, you, uh, you have obviously a great deal of education and you had kind of the break in the middle where you were you know, in school and then working in, and then back to school. I'm curious about how, the, <clears throat> how what you were learning compared to what you saw in the real world. How much of what you learned in school was directly applicable to your work and how much of, how much of what you learned in, in, at work was kind of, like um, you say, the, yeah. the gut instinct and the kind of the art yeah. part of it? I think when I, in my first uh, period of study, when I, when I went to, to a university in Chile, um, I was more into this science side, I was very open to learn and the technique and keep things perfectly. A lot of numbers, uh, because I think you have that, uh, you're involved uh, in that world um, and you have at least me, I feel the pressure to make it good, you know. Uh, I was lucky uh, that my, my parents paid that education for me. And uh, that's another thing that I feel very lucky. Um, it wasn't, I know that it wasn't easy, uh, especially for my father to uh, keep four students at the university at the same time, because we are four uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, so he works hard to make it possible and, and don't give us that charge to us, even if he could do it, but he never did it. So I feel very lucky about that. Uh, and at the same time, I always feel that pressure that I needed to do it well. Um, and I tried to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, then, uh, in my second period, when I did this master degree in France, I went on myself. Uh, like I told you, I sold mm -hmm. a lot of things. Then I took a credit with the bank uh, to make it. So it was me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was much more open, like I told you, to have the life experience of that more than go again into 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 study and, and see all that uh, and I think it was great to have that approach because I think I get much more much more things uh, than I thought um, when you connect with that uh, you connect with people and uh, people I think when they connect with you they are more open 
to show you his world, mm -hmm. the, uh, the vines and the, and the wines. Um, so I loved that way, and, 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 and that changed my mind. It was more easy for me because I have already studied, so all that technical part was, I was not worried about that, so so was more about connect uh, with the wines and the people and the food, which is finally what it's the most important thing. Um, um, so I think it's important, especially, uh, I think all the technique and the, and the books and the numbers came in front when you have problems. That's when it's important, mm -hmm. um, when you need to resolve things. Uh, so I love to work a lot uh, in prevention, like trying to not to have problems, uh, taking good decisions. So I don't need to consult mm -hmm. that uh, and resolve that. Mm -hmm. Even if every harvest is different, you know, um, every, har every harvest you have different problematics. Every vineyard has their own problematics. Uh, when you are in a very rocky vineyard like here, you have some problems. When you are in a more deep soil, you have another problem, like the opposite. Um, and then you need to have a, I think it's have a good base uh, technical base make things much more easy but I would say that in the other side if you are uh, enough sensitive and open and smart you can do it too in the other way uh, and you will learn through your mistakes um, and we came back again to this combination of, of things, uh, the, the science and the soul or the art side of, of this uh, métier. Um, so I think it's important, uh, it helps you make things more easy, uh, but I always believe, and especially now, that you need to have balanced that with, uh, with your guts, and for that, and to connect with your guts, that's another story. It's more a, a psychological thing. You need to know yourself uh, and that takes time. Uh, and for each person is different. Some people, they get very well with themselves very, very young. Some other, they need more time. Um, so that's how I see the, the thing. Absolutely. So you mentioned you, you, you have spent three years in France with your master's degree and you want to bring it back to Chile. So tell me about the, the next step in, for you going heading back home. Yeah, at that time <clears throat> I was uh, in love with Syrah. Mm -hmm. I get crazy when I went to Cote uh, and I worked two years there. Um, one of my best friends are, are still there. Uh, so I wanted to connect the Syrah in Chile with the cool climate. Uh, and then I remember just before to move from France, I, I did a very good experience in Burgundy too. Uh, a friend introduced me 
to that world. And that took me, uh, took something from me, put something there, stand by, um, because I found that that was the extreme of the complication, which I love. I love, I, I, I don't think good things can be so easy, uh, never. Um, so you need to suffer that complications and understand to make it great. And I saw that in Burgundy. Uh, like I, I never saw in another place. Mm -hmm. The level of uh, complexity since the vineyard to the wines, but especially at the vineyard. Uh, the level of knowledge about the soil, uh, the place, uh, the commitment, the link with the food. Uh, it's, it's a match, it's a great match. Um, so that stayed with me. Uh, when I came back to Chile, uh, well, at that, I mean, since all my life, I, I, and I think because of my father too, I, I, I develop a lot of uh, biophilia, which is this sense of, of the connection with the nature. Mm -hmm. So I always been very connected uh, with that, uh, including the, the humans, mm -hmm. uh, which are part of, of, of the nature believe it or not. <laughs> uh, so I was always since the very beginning uh, involved with uh, biodynamic and, and organic practices and, and actually when I was at the school at the same time that I was doing studying agronomy I did a, a, a diploma in environmental studies and then I went very deep into this uh, uh, organic, biodynamic, and permaculture world. Uh, so when I went to France, I was always interested to see that, to connect with these people, uh, to meet these people, to share with, with people that was working on that way. So when I came back uh, to Chile, I really wanted, that was, part of the of the equation that I wanted to to have um, so I came back and, and I found a beautiful project that uh, was interested to have me uh, which is called Nativa uh, which was actually the first uh, organic uh, wine project in Chile um, that was started I think in the 80s uh, and when I was young when I was studying winemaker was kind of a dream to work for that project uh, and that was the opportunity to be in charge of that wow. so I was very excited very excited um, at that uh, this project was part of uh, another company and, and, and that was finally 
uh, was difficult uh, and, <clears throat> and after several years took me a lot of energy uh, to fight, uh, to convince people to go into that. So I was tired. <laughs> um, but it was a great experience. I learned most of uh, the biological approach that I have, the, the organic approach and the biodynamical approach that I have uh, with that project. And in some moment, uh, there was another opportunity with a French family uh, in a valley in the south of Chile with old vines. So that took me very strong. Um, and at the same time, uh, they was open to work uh, with Pedro Parra, uh, this crazy terror <laughs> consultant. Uh, so I decided to move there. Um, so I, after, I think, seven years, six, seven years working, I moved to this uh, beautiful project it's called Bouchon, uh, a Chilean-French family in Maule Valley that really wanted to turn his world from Bordeaux varieties to more local mm -hmm. varieties in a more Burgundian way, which was all that I wanted to do. So uh, I started to work with Pedro that I I met him before, he's a Chilean guy, so it's a small country. Um, but that was the first time I worked with him and, 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 and uh, blow my mind at the beginning, see all of this uh, approach to uh, terroir, to the soil. Um, he's, he's a guy that works a lot with the gods, with observation, with being there. Uh, and that uh, helped me a lot to move into that. Um, so uh, we did, I think, uh, a nice uh, turn on that project. Um, I think everyone was super happy. Mm. I forgot a very good detail, sorry. We need to rewind. When I was in Nativa, before to move to mm -hmm. Bouchon, mm -hmm. at the end, <clears throat> when I was uh, trying to see what was happening outside, um, some friends connect me with uh, Louis-Michel de Jeveler. Uh, because he has a project in Chile too. Um, because they needed, uh, they wanted a guy to come for harvest time uh, to help uh, just for harvest. Uh, so they called me and I was super excited <coughs> because I knew who was him. Uh, and I said, 
wow, Oregon. Uh, uh, they, they was starting to develop Chapter 24 here, uh, Louis Michel uh, with Mark Tarlow. And at that time, Mikey Etzel uh, uh, was the winemaker. So pretty good team, right? <laughs> um, so he invited me to come and, and help Mikey. Uh, and I was, wow, that's amazing. But I need to, it's going to be for a month, month and a half. Uh, so I, I start to note, OK, I have all these days uh, pendant vacations, uh, so I put all that together and I took permission to come uh, for one month and a half. So in my company they was open uh, to do it uh, and that was great. Uh, so I came in 2013. That was a very intense year, one of the most intense years of my life. Uh, was the year of my son was born. Um, what, 2013. Uh, and was the year when we decided to start a family project in Chile. So many things, mm -hmm. like many balls, hanging. Uh, and I was saying yes to everyone. <laughs> because I feel it, I don't know, was the excitement maybe to, to have a a child, I know that year was a lot of adrenaline, uh, <laughs> but that inspired me a lot. Uh, so I said, yes, I want to come. And I came without knowing very much about Oregon. I knew that was Pinot Noir, cool region. Le Michel, Mark, and Mikey, that was enough for me mm -hmm. to take the risk at the job with the family, with everything, and come. Uh, and it was great. And I fell in love of Oregon. Uh, so it was such a great experience. I came, yeah, I think like six weeks. Um, I connect with uh, all the guys here. Uh, for Louis Michel, it was very important to have someone that speaks French here. Uh, so that was one of the main reasons. Um, it was a great experience and, and it was great. I learned a lot with the whole team, uh, with Mikey, uh, with Mark, uh, with Louis Michel. Um, it was just great. Um, so I came back to Chile, very happy, was a refresh. And that actually helped me to decide to move on from uh, Nativa. Mm -hmm. So coming back again, brrr, <laughs> uh, in, 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 then I start to work for these guys, for Bouchon, working with Pedro in granite. Very exciting, old vines, granite. And the, the beautiful thing there was that we we make a big turn on that and, and everyone was happy and now it's a project that they are doing pretty good uh, with beautiful wines. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the only problem that was two years after I received the call uh, from Mark Tarlow, from Louis Michel, 
saying that they needed uh, a person to in charge of, of the project. Because at that time, Mikey was moved to Beaufort. Um, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> why now? Why not two years ago? Uh, and it took us, it took us a long time to decide that because it was not just me, it's a family decision. Uh, it took us, I don't know, maybe half year uh, to decide that. Um, we were super happy uh, in Chile uh, as a life and, and me personally too working. But then uh, Pedro was about to start consulting for this project, so one more guy calling. <laughs> um, so we decided to do it because of the project and as a family experience. Um, and it's something that I always wanted to do because I, I, I lived that when I went to France. Um, and I think one of the best, maybe the best gift that you can give to, to your family and especially to your children it's open another culture. Um, so when you open, and, and the key for, for another culture, it's a uh, language. So when you give a new language uh, to your son, uh, you give the key. And you open food, movies, books, people. So it's a whole new world. And it's, it's what happened to me when I went to France. Uh, when I, I learned French and I started to dream in, in French, mm -hmm. I remember that day. I remember exactly that day. The first day I, I dream in French. And you wake up and it's like, oh my God. And, that, and that's how the brain works, I think. There is a moment that some something is open and start to work. And that's how you realize that you never use the whole capacity of your brain. We use a small percentage probably, I don't know. Uh, so bring, give that uh, to my family and, and to my son, it's, it's a great gift. So it took me, that was part of the decision to say yes. Uh, we knew that uh, it's never easy here, I think. Uh, uh, it's a powerful country. Um, but uh, we took it. And, uh, and in 2000, uh, end of 2015, I said yes. And, and uh, we moved in 2016 here. Um, like beginning of summer of uh, 16. Uh, and here we are after four <laughs> years living the, the experience. It's, a, it's an adventure. It's an adventure every day. Uh, and I love that. I love to wake up 
in a place that challenge you uh, culturally uh, because it's not your language, it's not your culture uh, and I like that, I learned that when I went to France uh, and I think uh, my family enjoyed to do that too. Mm -hmm. uh, of course we miss uh, family, friends, our culture, uh, but it's part of the moving, it's part of the adventure. Um, so we moved in, in, in 2016 here. Mm -hmm. Amazing, an amazing journey so far. Tell me about the project that you came into, about, about the, Tar <coughs> the Mark Tarlov's project that you were taking over, and, and sort of what's happened with it since you became part of the, of the team. Um, well, I, I, I met Mark and the whole team in 2013, mm -hmm. so I knew where I was coming. Uh, a very challenging ambient and project. Um, Mark is that kind of very big brain uh, guy. Um, and you can see him, his career. I mean, when he gets boring, he just changed, but he always wants to be top. In the top, so <clears throat> he started as a lawyer. He was a very good lawyer, the kind of lawyer that writes speeches for the president. And then he went into the movies, and he wanted to make a director and producer. So he produced and direct many movies. Some of them, like these cult movies. Yeah. Uh, and then in some moment, he connected with wines. Um, he can tell you the story much better, but I think it was one night when he was with Sigourney Weaver in a restaurant that was managed by Larry Stone, uh, well, whatever, but... And then he said, okay, and he has a great palate, he's a burgundy lover, so he said, I want to make the best Pinot Noir, so let's go to Oregon. And that's how he started, even in land, bringing a dream team uh, with uh, Larry Stone, Dominic Lafon, uh, Rush Parr, himself. Uh, and you see that most of that team, those people, they, they have their own projects now. Uh, you have Lingua Franca, uh, you have Walter Scott, uh, Ken Palo was working there. And so, yeah, I mean, um, uh, you never know how things will finish. Uh, so, and it's something that I learned from, from, and it's something that I like from Mark, that you need to go for, for things because you never know how things will finish, but if you make things with passion, I think you can make changes for many people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if things don't work as you want it, but you will make an, an effect that mm -hmm. will t t t take people and, and change things. So in some moment when uh, most of the guys left uh, even in land, Mark decided to go to 
come back and make something with Louis Michel. Uh, Lee Javeler, the red pant guy, uh, very famous in Bon Romanet, has a beautiful domain um, and he takes care of one of the, I think it's the smallest appellation in the world, it's called La Romanet, um, and beautiful wines. Uh, so they start chapter 24 in 2012. But then I think it came a different approach because this time was not about just to make uh, a, a great wine, it was to make uh, great and unique, right? And the way to make that is they took the path of the soil of the terroir. <coughs> Uh, which is probably something easy for people coming from Burgundy because they know how to work that very well. It's like the extreme of the wine world on that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the first two wines in to trying to explain the valley in a very simple way was fire and flood. So. Let's tell about the valley. The valley is a volcanic valley. Basalt main, mainly is the rock. Um, but you know that 1,000, 10, 12,000 years ago, we have this big flood coming from this uh, big lake um, that was huge. There is two things hard to understand that phenomenon. It's the timing was thousands thousand of years ago and the size of that. Uh, that the research tell that is that flood was if you combine all the rivers of the world and you multiply you multiply that ten times. So incredible. It's hard to <laughs> see, I mean right? But that changed the reality here, uh, put a lot of sediments uh, over the beautiful basalt. Uh, so you need to go a little bit high elevation to find uh, the basalt, over 350 or 400 feet, mm -hmm. right? Even if it's very mixed, huh? but that's more or less. Uh, so they create these two wines first, uh, and the first years was about explore uh, the valley, doing a lot of vinifications in small lots, trying to understand uh, what we like, what we don't, uh, the soils and all that. Uh, the next step was hire Pedro to get more information about that and jump into Rose and Arrow, which it's the project that take all the information about basalt and craft these seven or ten different wines, all from basalt. Uh, and that's when I came. Uh, that's a moment when I came, when Pedro came, um, 
and we start to go very deep into this. Mm -hmm. uh, like a black hole that took us. <laughs> uh, so we, we changed our way to work totally. So we went very into soil pits and electroconductivity to map our, our vineyards. Uh, so we collect a lot of information, very valuable information uh, that helps a lot to take decisions for planting, take decisions for vineyard management, take decisions for vinification. So it's all information that if you understand and you, and, you, and you make it work, it will probably make better wines. Because again, we make wines, that's the final goal. So we never forget that. Everything that we do is to make it great. Uh, wines. Uh, so he came with this, Mark came with this uh, Rosenaro project and, and that's where we, we've been the last uh, four years trying to craft um, these wines, understanding the rocks, understanding the basalt, understanding how weathered the level of alteration of those basalt, where are the basalt, how deep they are, or how close to the surface. And it's messy. It's messy because it's volcanic, so it changed very fast. Uh, you can lose the basalt in four feet, and that's another flavor. So that's what we are trying to keep those flavors from the basalt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's why any of those wines are, are a few amount of cases, so between 95 and, and 250 cases each wine. Um, and we can't grow on those wines because it is that piece of land where it is. Uh, we, we can grow if we do more wines from all the different sites, that's our way to grow. Uh, so it's kind of complicated. Complicated to explain, complicated <laughs> to sell. Uh, so you need uh, really people very into this, that appreciate this kind of product. That, again, these are simple products, right? Uh, we're not talking about anything complicated, it's wine but it's wine from specific outside. It's like we're talking about ham, but let's go to the Pata Negra ham, that special pork that eat acorns from that place. And that's why you will never reproduce that ham anywhere. You can do your own thing. Maybe here we can have our own pork and he can eat uh, hazelnuts that we have a lot and that will make the most special ham and it will be something unique mm -hmm. so that's what we do we 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 have uh we don't want to make burgundy here uh, we have we follow that philosophy in the in the what they say the savoir faire uh, the the, the know-how, but this is Oregon, so we want to do and show what it's Oregon here uh, with basalt, which is very much different than limestone. Mm -hmm. So there it's all limestone, 
they have limestone everywhere. Uh, this is basalt and we don't have it everywhere. You need to find it. So you need to scout and explore uh, a lot more. Uh, it's more difficult and, and that's why I think if you think about uh, great wines coming from rocks, uh, if I ask you, well, tell me 10, ten, ten great wines coming from limestone, and you can tell many because you have Burgundy, Barolo, Barbaresco, part of Champagne. I mean, you can name a hundred here. You can put in the table. Then if I ask you, well, tell me 10 great wines from granite, it's a little more difficult. 10 great wines from schist or slate, more difficult. And then 10 great wines from volcanic. So it is in these planets of rocks is the smaller one mm -hmm. because it's the most difficult one. The clay uh, that provide, uh, and this is something that we've seen and we are still studying, uh, but I think the clay that comes from volcanic is very much different than the clay coming from limestone. Uh, it's another quality uh, that makes things more difficult. So it's a nice uh, fight. Uh, and uh, we fight for that, yeah. And, and, and that's our trouble. On the way in today, you showed me the soil pit here and, and what's going on below the surface. So I'm, I'm curious, with all the work that Pedro does, and with all the work you do scouting locations, what is it you're looking for in locations? What, what is it that excites you as, about a place that might be able to sh showcase something unique uh, within basalt? Well, we get very excited with basalt. We are very excited when we find rocks. Uh, so that's what we love. but. A rock can be um, weathered in different ways. It can be very weathered, like jory, uh, which is uh, a very high alterated basalt. Or uh, you can have a soil like here, super rocky, hard for the vine, that you need to wait for the fractures and the, and the roots can go there into that fractures and take something from there that we still don't know what it is. Huh? We know that uh, it's not proven that plants can take minerals directly, mineral flavors uh, from, the, from the soil and express and put that into the, into the grapes that we transform in wines. But there is something and that's very clear for people that taste wines, they can easily recognize uh, what people call minerality, which is a very abusive word. <laughs> it's like sustainability. <laughs> Everyone is using it. But there is some energy uh, put it in the wine that you can feel in your palate. And, and it's more about texture, right? And I think that is something that I've seen, uh, I've seen in, in my 20 years making wine. I remember my first tasting with sommeliers and, and, and the sommeliers was like an hour with the glass, just smelling, smelling and describing aromas. 
And now it's about to drink and feel that sensation. It's more about the palate, uh, the edginess, the sharpness of the wine, the, the grain of the tannins. It turned to that. Um, and it's great because the most easy to find in a wine is aromas and flavors. Grapes are fruits, so anyone can make fruity wine at home. But the thing is how you add layers of complexity into that fruit profile. And that's a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what we do through the soil, add layers of complexity over that fruit, which is very important to have it, but it's the most easy thing because grapes are fruit. So um, fruity notes are a lot, especially in Oregon. Uh, which is kind of nice weather. Um, we can't complain about the weather here. It's cool, less and less cool. Uh, every year more dry, so make things easy in terms of uh, of uh, of uh, mildew and botrytis conditions. Uh, it make it easy for people that want to work uh, organic or biodynamic or both. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you talked earlier about your, your kind of vision of yourself as not, not a winemaker, but a wine grower, and how much time you spend in the vineyard with, with your grapes before they, they come in. I try to spend most of my time there. Uh, I just go to a winery when I need to go, and I get bored very easily. Uh, but but I, I know that I need to be there because uh, great wines, it's about details. Um, and if you start making a list of details that you can take care, there is more than a thousand. Uh, and you will never could take care of all the details but you need to try to do the maximum you can. Uh, and these are small details. So any of those details by themselves will make a change in the wine. But 10 details, yes. So sometimes you say, well, why we, we will do this? People won't, won't see this. Yeah, they won't see it. But if you do that, 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 and that, the wines take another step and another step and another step. So I like to take care of all of those details in the winemaking and at the vineyards. Um, at the winery, probably it's more, it's less exciting because it's more certain. I mean, you don't have the weather factor, so you know that you do this, it's going to happen this, and there's numbers in the middle. Here, it's where you really need to make a, a mix of what you feel, about your experience, about how long you've been working with that vineyard, and that's something that uh, uh, gives you a lot of information. Uh, and be very open, very connected with the place and observate because you can grab a lot of answers uh, from there. That can be even helpful for 
take uh, while making decisions. Uh, so I, I, I like to spend the most that I can there. Uh, it's never enough, uh, but we have a great team. Uh, um, we have Netanya Welch that manage um, all the vineyards, uh, and she's been with us uh, the last couple of years, and uh, she's doing a great job, uh, and I think we make a very good team. I like when you, you talk about the, the vineyard being the place that where the, cha the challenges you more and the, and the winery being the place where you kind of, you do something, you kind of know what's going to happen. So I'm curious, as you're working a vineyard, as you're learning a vineyard, what is it you're looking for and how, how do you come to understand the place and, and what you need to do to make the best possible wine? Uh, well, the, the vines and the, and the grapes, and when you taste the grapes, when you start tasting since right now, when you have variation, mm -hmm. um, give you clues uh, about what is coming, because every year is different, so you play every year uh, with different conditions. Uh, I've been the last four years here, I'm sure there is people that they grow here, so they have all this experience about 20, 25 years growing the same place, and that's amazing. Um, so what we try to do, because we know that we don't, we haven't been here many times, but we, that's why we try to get a lot of information from the vineyard. So for that, we do the, the electric conductivity, we map, our vines with that, so we know where are the rocks, we know where are the other sites with no rocks. Uh, then we go and dig, uh, and we do a lot of soil pits, we bring Pedro, and it's an improvement of, of information because every year we are trying to bring more people to work with us, not constantly, but for the days when we are doing these soil pits and we bring Pedro, uh, Last year, last year was amazing. I had that, I remember that view. I was there watching a soil pit with five PhD inside. And that's crazy. Uh, and that's Mark Talov uh, that loved to bring all these people. So there was Pedro, which is a doctor in terroir from Paris. There was a, a, a doctor in biologist. There was a doctor in bioneurologist. Bio um, there was a doctor in geology. So we brought two geologists, one that was more field geologist, and the other was ge uh, chronogeologist. Mm -hmm. So the one that take care about the ages of. And I was just noting there, noting, noting, following the conversation. And I got such amount of information. And then when you process that, you start to understand why that part of the vineyard worked that way, why the other part of the vineyard works another way. So then you can take decisions about pruning, working the soil, uh, growing, uh, uh, cover crops, many things, even for vinification. Uh, 
so I think the most important is, is try to do that, is try to get most of the information you can, and that's unlimited. You always can get more. Mm -hmm. It's unlimited information because we don't know exactly what is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, what is happening under the soil is very uncertain, but you need to go and dig. Dig and watch. Mm -hmm. You don't need to bring an expert. You can watch, and, 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 if, and, and if you watch a lot of different places, a lot of soil pits, you will start to calibrate and, 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 and think and, and have conclusions. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's the way we try to do. Bring people, help us, get information, process that, and apply that. Uh, because finally it's all about to know better your place mm -hmm. and, and help that place to express that that's what we do and that's what I try to do that's how I see this uh, job is try to help to express the place uh, not try to me be there in the wise um, you know there's a lot of ego in this uh, wine world since uh, owners of wineries with winemakers and viticulturists and there's a lot of ego there because there is an important factor of the terroir which is the human impact, right? Uh, so if you want to let talk your vines, you need to try to find the way to do your human impact but under the way. Mm -hmm. And this is the most difficult. Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to go a little bit far and you will be there. In the grapes or in the wines. Mm -hmm. So that's the harmony that you need to follow. We always, um, uh, with Pedro, we love music, we love jazz, and, and we always talk about that, about rhythms. Uh, and there's a lot of rhythm on this so you need to know how to play the rhythm uh, if i if we have the same partitor which can be the grapes and i give it to you you and i give you an instrument and we have the same instrument and i play that partitor and you play that partitor it's gonna be a totally different right so that's it so you need to find the way to play that partitor uh, in a way, in the most beautiful way, uh, you can make your change on that partitor, right? And play finally your own music, or you can play really the original music coming from there. And we are more on that side. I'm not saying that one side is better than another, but we enjoy more that, uh, come back to the original, and express that. You talked about from the very beginning with the Mark with Mark Tarlov's project that the, the, the goal, everything's about the wine. Everything's about making the best possible wine. Every decision you make is about making the wine the best it can possibly be. That seems like it comes with a bit of pressure as the winemaker to like you say, to do to, to do the right thing just enough, not too much. 
I'm curious about that. If that pressure manifests, do you feel pressure to make these wines a certain way or a certain or certain quality, or, or is it more like you're going to take what you get and make the best you can from it? How, how do you kind of handle that pressure from of trying to make the very very best you can? Well, the pressure is there, and I think it's uh, that pressure exists for any winemaker that is in in charge of uh, wine production. Um, because finally, uh, what most of us do is manage money from other people, right? So we are responsible of that. Uh, if we fail, uh, it's not our money. Uh, I'm talking about as a winemaker employee. Mm -hmm. It's not the case when, when it's your project. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I see uh, that when you have your own project, you're, you risk, you're open to risk much more. Because it's your thing. Mm -hmm. But if, because if you're responsible enough, you will try to risk until the moment you don't want to lose anything, right? Mm -hmm. The good thing on this project is everyone is open to risk. Uh, so I can go very far uh, on that. Uh, they and everyone understand uh, that uh, we are opening, we, we are trying to open new things and for that we risk mm -hmm. uh, when, when we take risk and, and that's something that is very important for me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's something that keeps me very motivated uh, on this uh, on this uh, path, uh, so of course there is a pressure always uh, the pressure of make it good to not to make mistake, but we are open to make mistakes because we know that we are working in a non-conventional way, mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of 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 the path. I mean, finally, it's the path. It's maybe not the the final result. Um, we have that in our horizon, uh, but we enjoy the path uh, and we enjoy a lot um, because every year we are discovering things, especially at the vineyard, uh, that keep us very excited. You also talked about um Finding people for whom these to, for whom these wines resonate, finding customers. I'm am curious about selling these wines and about finding clientele who yeah. who appreciate what you're doing. Uh, well, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, most of our business it's focused uh, on that. I mean, for Rose and Arrow in that customers uh, that are. Probably most of them in cities like New York, uh, New York restaurants and, and, and New York consumers. Some in San Francisco, uh, maybe Chicago. So uh, we are lucky to have Mark there. Uh, he lives in New York. Um, and we are trying to mostly sell this uh, DTC direct to consumer because it's the only way we have to explain all this process mm -hmm. and all these 
information that sound more complicated than what it is. Uh, when you put the example of this precious coffee or ham or chocolate, people understand very well because they love that uh, and they want to have that in, in, at their tables. They, they are able to appreciate that. Um, so it's, it's not easy, so, um, and, and we are, well, with this situation now, it's kind of special. Uh, New York is just uh, starting to reopen. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what uh, we can do in the future. But that's why our production is limited and it will never be big um, because uh, we can't and, and, and we don't want. So, yeah, to be, to create a special thing, special things are never massive. It's an opposite things, right? So. You can think that Coca-Cola, Coke, it's very special, but it's massive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. so. you, you mentioned uh, COVID-19, uh, obviously we're dealing, dealing with the pandemic. I didn't want to mention I, that. It's, it's okay, it is, it's part of the, part of the timeline yeah. right now, so we'll just ask about it, we'll ask about it so we can kind of time capsule this, this moment. Tell me about how it's affected your wine life and, and how maybe it affects kind of your, your view of the future uh, for Oregon wine. <clears throat> well, it's affecting not just my wine life, it's affecting my life. Um, you know, wine, it's very social. It's a very social uh, thing. Uh, I mean, you gather with people for a bottle of wine and for a good meal, right? That's a that's the base of all this, huh? Mm -hmm. We make wine for food. Um, most of our wines are not made for tastings. Uh, they're made so you get your bottle, you cook something nice, and then you enjoy that food with that wine. Uh, so it's very social. Um, I think like most of the people personally uh, it's it's bad it's boring uh, we always want to show wines to our friends especially winemaker friends uh, and enjoy and, and have dinners and picnics and i'm from chile so i we are social we are latin americans so it's part of our thing and, and, and we don't have our family here so it's all about friends and we can't see very much our friends so it's hard personally uh, but it's a moment you know um, and I think it's, it's the moment of our generation I think most of all generations live a hard moment with all these world wars uh, with problems uh, dictators and things all any generation live this kind of thing so i don't complain uh, we need to go over this we will go i hope mm -hmm. and if not we will need to figure out how to live this way mm -hmm. uh, it was too easy until now i never in my life suffer anything heavy like 
it could happen with our parents or our grandparents. So mm -hmm. that's it. Um, and it will be part of the history. Um, and then in terms of uh, more functional things, uh, yeah, we are dealing with that. Um, for the first time, uh, I don't have any uh, French interns. Um, uh, so that changed something more personally for me because uh, I was doing most of my harvest speaking French. Uh, uh, and that's something that I like, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're all, I think, uh, talking with other wineries and trying to find um, ideas and, and try to create protocols for this coming harvest. Mm -hmm. um, but finally, nature don't stop. You know, we have the vines, they are growing, they are having variation now, they will ripe in a month, the grapes will be ready, and we will need to pick up and transform that in wine. So we need to move forward, yeah. That's uh, the thing, yeah. Any of these will change flavors or, or the way we want to make the wines, yeah. Or grow the vines, yeah. You talked about kind of falling in love with Oregon pretty quickly on your, on your first visit here. I'm curious what your impressions of the industry were uh, compared to other places you'd worked and what the Oregon wine industry looks like to you now after having been here a few years. Um, yeah, well, my first impression was how I was very impressed about how boiling was the industry here. I'm talking about 2013 boiling. I mean, you've seen all these new wineries with new equipment, uh, a lot of young vines, uh, but everything very well performed, performed, you know, like wineries with pretty good equipment, uh, some of them fancy, uh, but basically very, very good equipment and same as the vineyard, very nice vineyard. I was impressed about not to see vineyards, a lot of vineyards in the flat area. Mm -hmm. So that, that is the first thing that told me, okay, these guys start uh, higher in the level because you can see even old vineyards are planted in slopes, uh, in more high altitude. Uh, and that's amazing because normally what you see, uh, even in California, that a lot of vineyards in the flat, uh, low area, which will never be something very special, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, so here I think the level, and I think it's something that it's part to be a new wine region in the world, it's that you can learn from other places. So you can start um, a little bit high in your decisions. So a lot of good decisions uh, with uh, rootstock and uh, a lot of people. Another thing that impressed me a lot was all that discussion about clones that I don't understand very well because there is 
couple of things more important than clones, uh, like rootstock today. Um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, since the very beginning, you can see that the, the first level was already very high. The, the average quality was very high. Uh, prices are high too. Um, so that's, that's the thing that impressed me more. Um, and then when I came back in 16, um, the amount of new wineries, so still boiling. Um, I mean, y y I'm come from Chile, so I know how hard it is start a project of wine. Uh, we have a family project there. Uh, and just the fact to come from Chile is difficult because it's far, it's in our language, uh, it's in our reputation. Um, so I was impressed when I came here and see, wow, how these guys grow and, and they start a project and they go immediately to sell a thousand of cases. Uh, so, yeah, I think, and I think it's, it's a combination of a trendy variety, like Pinot Noir is today, maybe the hottest variety in the world. Uh, not the most number, I think it's still Cabernet Sauvignon, but uh, it's trendy now. It's, it's a sign of, of quality wine. Uh, so Pinot Noir plus the right weather, uh, cool climate, uh, and this uh, great investment that people did uh, planting and in the wineries make it great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, I would say it's a hot spot in the wine world map. Yeah, totally. What about as you look ahead for Oregon wine? What's, what's going to happen here in the next, next decade, let's say? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know if I'm the most appropriate to say that because I've been here four years, stable. But if you see the, the wine world map and, and you focus on, on Pinot Noir, which is what we do basically, the question is who is the next Burgundy? Because Burgundy is doing less and less wine, I think, because of climate change. Suffering with that more than us. Uh, they start peaking this week, so a month before us. That's insane. Can you believe that? That's insane. Um, that's one thing in Burgundy, and prices. So who can afford to buy Burgundy today? Students can't. Regular people can't. So I feel that it's going to be more and more something very, very much for a cluster of people. Mm -hmm. So who will be the next Burgundy? Uh, the next great Pinot Noir that can offer on that range from 20 to $100 bottle. Uh, and that's the great question because it's not just Oregon that want to be that. Uh, there is other places working for that. And I think Oregon has an advantage uh, in terms of 
weather and knowledge and uh, and that connection with Burgundy that I don't see any other region in the world any other Pinot Noir region connected with Burgundy I mean you have here uh, Dominique Lafon, Ligeveler, uh, Jadot, uh, Meo Camuset, Drouin was the first. Uh, so there must be like seven or eight big, tough Burgundy guys mm -hmm. investing here. Mm -hmm. And that says something. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel that if we just stay in in the plan of we make great wines, it could come another region and make his move and find limestone with Pinot Noir, which is a good match. <laughs> uh, climate is changing, Canada is starting to do things. Uh, you have other region in South America, very south, in Patagonia has good things. Uh, so I think we need to work for that as a valley and, and try to improve that and don't stay convinced that I'm making the best wine, mm -hmm. I'm making the best Pinot Noir because it's not true. Um, and I'm very critical with our wines and and everything around with the valley and all that because I want to improve always mm -hmm. because we it's something that should never stop you know because today it's easy here uh, you have Pinot Noir you have you put Pinot Noir Oregon and you will sell but we should not stay there we should try to go to the next step and is to connect uh, uh, places mm -hmm. rebuild AVAs, which are huge. I can pick from the same AVA with three weeks, four weeks of difference. So, and you find all the soils in one, all the type of soil in one AVA. So we, we need to rebuild that and, and go more uh, specific, little by little. Uh, but it can be so easy because uh, then uh, it will come another place and take that Pinot Noir mm -hmm. post from a, from a Burgundy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I see a little the challenges for the, for the region. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What about as you look ahead for yourself and for your Rose and Arrow project and for your own personal project? What, what, what's, the next, what's the next step for you and what are you kind of looking ahead for, looking ahead towards? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's the future take us. Um, we are very excited with this project. Um, I feel that we can still improve. Uh, the moment I feel that we can't, it will be maybe uh, the end for me. Unless they are not happy with me before, but I don't know. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what can happen. Today we live uncertain times. Uh, 
in the world, plus I think it's an uncertain time in the country, plus that. Um, so it's hard to say that. Uh, I'm trying to think a little bit more less long-term at this moment. Um, so I'm connecting more and more with harvest time now. Um, but I hope uh, we can make it great. Yeah, I hope we can bring all of our guys again, uh, bring Pedro here, uh, and the geologists and the biologists uh, to understand better uh, that and, and have more information for me to make the wines. Um, same in Chile, uh, same situation, very similar than here, kind of a um, COVID plus uh, social crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so there is many things to go through um, beside the wine, <laughs> which are important too. <laughs> so kind of, I don't know, I don't know. Absolutely. That's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover today that we should have covered? I think this was a pretty good one. <laughs> Actually, I, it, it took me a long time ago. Uh, uh, so I appreciate a Excellent. lot that. Thank you for reminding me all these Excellent. things. And, and uh, I appreciate a lot uh, your project uh, because I appreciate a lot uh, the history in general. Sure. It's important to understand the past and, and, and make better the, the present and the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time, your wonderful wine. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll let you off the hook. Yeah, right. thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.